0: Morning, <laughs> Hi, guys. I am Stacy. I'm the student ministry pastor, one of the teaching pastors here at Cassis. I heard you guys heard a story about me this morning. Neil, out here sharing our secrets. Um, I know that it sounds ridiculous to convince people that a grown man consistently fakes a British accent, but I cannot tell you the joy I feel every time I convince someone he is from Boulder, Colorado, and they just believe me. It makes me so happy because they get so angry at him. They think he is nonsense, and it just, it lights up my whole day. So if you want to participate in that type of joy, I do encourage you, if you've thought at all about being able to volunteer in any of the ministries here, hang out after service, get some more information, meet some people, any of that stuff, because we do have a lot of fun. Like, not everybody, you know, has a story told about them, but there's some good things out there. Um, This morning, I am jumping into week four of our five-week summer series, Better Questions, Better Decisions. Did you guys know that it is estimated, on average, an adult makes 35,000 decisions a day? 35,000 is not a small number. I know some of you are like, oh, that's it. But like roughly estimated 35,000 decisions a day. Now, some of those decisions almost feel like muscle memory. Like for some of us, when we start driving, like using a blinker, checking your mirrors, hitting the brakes, you're not necessarily putting a ton of thought. It's almost like muscle memory. But it is a decision how you are going to drive in that moment. Some of our decisions are small. You've already made a ton of decisions this morning from how did you choose what you were going to wear, what color of shirt, what you were going to have for breakfast, or whether or not you were going to have breakfast. You've already made several decisions this morning. But we also know that out of those 35,000 daily moments, we make a lot of big decisions We can make a lot of decisions that actually impact how the rest of our day goes. It can impact how our week goes. Sometimes we even face decisions that impact how the rest of our lives are going to go. Some of us, we've made decisions and we know what we decided to do impacted how somebody else's day, somebody else's week, and somebody else's life was experienced also. Think about big decisions you've made. Who to get married to? Where to go to school? What major to get You make big decisions about your finances all of the time. You make decisions about how to parent. And again, it's not just impacting your day, that's impacting somebody else's story also. And so out of those 35,000 daily opportunities to make decisions and to see where your life is gonna go, we wanted to do a series that said maybe if we knew, if we had some tools to make better decisions we might get to lead lives that had fewer regrets. So in this series, what we said is, what if we had a few questions that we could ask ourselves as we go to make choices and as we face those decisions, big or small, that let us make better decisions? And so in the first week, we offered, one of those tools is to ask a question before you choose what it is you're gonna do. And the first week we said, am I being honest with myself really? Am I being honest about my motivation for this decision that's sitting in front of me? The second week, we talked about what story do I want to tell? If my decisions are writing part of the chapters of my life, what story do I want those chapters to be telling? And then last week, Glenn said, is there a tension in this moment that deserves my attention? When we go to make certain decisions, we like feel that anxiety, we feel that pause. Is there a tension in this moment that deserves more of my attention before I go make this decision? So this week, The question that I want us to explore this morning is asking before we go make a decision, what is the wise thing for me to do? Now, I know that doesn't sound revolutionary and you're not like, goodness, a whole new way to do things. But what my thought is, if we start utilizing that question As one of the filters we use when we go to make important decisions in our lives, I think we're going to find that that question, what is the wise thing for me to do, is a better filter as we make our choices. It can lead us into better things in our life with fewer regrets. So in order to explore this question, what we are going to do today is we are going to start in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, Corinth is this bustling port city in part of the Roman Empire. And Paul wrote 1 Corinthians as a letter to the church in Corinth. He had come to Corinth and he had started telling people for the first time about Jesus, about his mission and the things that he taught and about his love and about his grace. And people's lives were changed. And so he's pulling these people together and he's helping them start this this new church, this new Jesus movement. And then he moves on to the next city in order to do the same thing because he's a missionary. Except that what he starts to hear as he moves on is he hears about some of the um, dilemmas. Some of the difficulties that that young church is facing back in Corinth. And so 1 Corinthians is his first letter back to that church saying, let me give you some, some wisdom. Let me help you through some of the dilemmas that you are facing. One of the dilemmas that they're facing, because Corinth is a port city, it's, it's pretty big, but it's incredibly diverse. People of all different types of backgrounds and religions, like it's very, very much a melting pot type of city. And because of that, there is an incredible amount of idol worship happening in Corinth. Just to give you an idea, for the average Corinth citizen... You always were told you are a citizen of the Roman Empire first. So you are always told you worship Caesar like a god. So Caesar is almost like you worship Caesar like Caesar is one of your gods. Then your city, Corinth itself, had a god that they worshipped. They worshipped Athena. That was the primary god in Corinth. But even in addition to that, they had tons of other goddess worship that as a member of Corinth you were expected to participate in. Then on top of that, they had almost like worker unions, they called them guilds, and your worker guild had a god that you also had to worship. And then in addition to that, your family or your family unit had some type of god that you had to step out and worship. So there's an incredible amount of worship and this glob of religions and idol worship happening in Corinth. And one of the things that would happen is every month, one of the guilds would get together and throw this huge feast, like this huge risque party. And one of the central things would be meat used for sacrifice in different types of ways, depending on the guild or depending on the god. And the next day, any meat that wasn't used or consumed at the party would be sold over in the marketplace for a deep discount. And that's a big deal because meat was incredibly expensive in this culture. And so you have this young, small church, these new Jesus followers, and they are struggling in the midst of all this confusion to figure out this new identity. You have so many people from different cultures, from different backgrounds, maybe even from different religions, trying to come together as these new Jesus followers, and they don't exactly know what their identity looks like. Then, from all these different places, they're trying to unify And they're trying to be for each other and be a part of the same movement. And it's incredibly difficult. And this meat sold in the marketplace creates a very specific dilemma for them. Because they cannot decide, is it right or wrong for us to purchase this discounted meat that was technically used to worship idols? Some of the people in this movement said it is immoral for us to purchase meat that was used for other gods. And other people said it's not a moral issue. We are not going to use the meat to worship other idols, so it doesn't actually bother us that way. And they have ethical dilemmas. And this young church cannot figure out what is the right and wrong way to navigate this. And if that wasn't confusing enough, they are traveling around the city meeting people. They are telling people about Jesus and how their lives have been changed by their faith in Jesus. And that means oftentimes they're entering into people's homes to have meals with them. And in a culture ran by hospitality, they are confronted saying, what do we do when we're in someone's home and they serve us a meal of this discounted meat now? Is it crossing the line? Are we going to be insulting people and pushing them out of our Jesus movement if we decide that we cannot ever consume meat that was purchased in the market or or food that we just don't know where it came from? So it's created this incredible dilemma and they cannot figure out what the right or wrong thing to do in front of them is. And they cannot figure out how to unify Have you ever been in a moment you had to make a decision like that? You're standing in front of that decision, and no matter what you do, you cannot figure out what is the right and wrong move for me right now. I cannot decide what the next moral or immoral step is for me. I cannot figure out where the line is and where I'm supposed to stand on this. Have you ever had to make a decision with somebody else in your life, and you guys cannot get on the same page? Have you ever tried to make a decision with a coworker or a boss? And because you guys are coming at it from different places with different motivations on the same decision, you cannot figure out where to land with your spouse trying to make a decision. And the two of you are not in agreement. You are not unified. We understand what the church of Corinth is facing. And Paul hears about this dilemma and he writes to them about it. But what is so surprising that we find in chapter 10 is he doesn't write to them saying, here is exactly how you make this decision. Here's exactly how you solve this dilemma. What he says is, I know the filters that you are using to try and make choices and they're not working for you. So why don't I offer you a different filter to be able to make these next choices and face these decisions? So in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, this is what Paul writes to this church. Uh, verse 23, he says, I have the right to do anything. You could say that. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good. They should seek the good of others. So again, what he's pointing out here is he's saying, these filters you guys are using to try and make decisions, they're not helping you because they are not the the best filter to be able to sit in front of you and say, which choice do I wanna choose? Oftentimes, we use the same filters of making decisions that the people of Corinth would have looked like. When we have a decision sitting in front of us, we often ask questions like, well, is it wrong? I have a decision in front of me and I know which way I wanna go. Is it wrong? It's not technically wrong. So then it must be all right. Is this decision illegal? It's a good question to ask. Is this illegal? It's not technically illegal what I purchase or do not purchase. It's not technically illegal. Well, then it must be permissible. Is it moral for me to make this choice? Am I crossing a moral line? Not technically, so it must be acceptable. Is this decision going to be over the line? Not really. I'm not really breaking any promises. Then this decision must be fine for me. And when we look at those filtered questions, part of us wants to be like, yeah, those are important questions. It is important to ask before you do something, is this illegal? That, that's an important filter to try and use. But there can be two difficulties with, each, with utilizing those filters when we make decisions. One is what Corinth is facing What if there is not an obvious black or white answer in front of you? Just because it's wrong, does that mean that it is the wisest decision to step out and make? Just because it's wrong, does that mean, well, then it must be all right. And what those filters do is they really snuggle us up to the line of it's almost a bad idea. They remove any buffer or any margin between us and a bad day. For example, recently you guys may have heard we got to take a big group of high school students over to California for our high school summer camp we took 70 some kids over there and it was a really incredible time we got to take a whole worship band which was just great for our students and, and for them to get to worship together uh, several like students got to hang out with each other and leaders got to know students better in fact Glenn actually came to camp and he led this class it was a really funny class actually about how to survive certain moments because you know Glenn would teach that class and he he's taught the students, if you're ever in a scenario where you have a rhino, what you need to do to survive a rhino is you need to be the bush. And so this was his whole class. So for the rest of the week, we had 70 kids walking up to Pastor Glenn and be like, bro, be the bush. Like it became the thing for camp. And to watch a 17 year old do that all week is amazing. It's hilarious. And so it was just a really, really great week. One of the things that we got to do is we got to go to this amazing water park. Huge water slides, it's so, so, so much fun. So as as a youth pastor who is in charge of 70 some kids at this water park, I have to tell you, it's never a great feeling when you see a posse of security officers beelining for you through the crowd, to the point they're calling you by first name, Stacy, Stacy, like they're not trying to find you because one of your teenagers, they just wanna tell you they are really handling their day well. That's not why the security officers are looking for you. In fact, they might be trying to find you in this crowd because perhaps two of your 15-year-old boys decided to spit on people at the amusement park. It is possible, that's why. Security is finding you in the crowd in the middle of your days for those two 15-year-old boys. So then you get to sit down with your precious, precious boys and you go, look, I know you guys, you're not bullies. They are not bullies, they are not malicious or mean. They are 15 and do not have a developed frontal lobe. I know these things about them, I do, I've met them. And I get to sit in front of them and go, guys, what were you thinking? As you made this decision, what were you thinking? And they're the most precious people and the truth is they did use some filters before this moment happened. They go, Stace, we were in line and we were bored. I was like, I see you. That's a good formula to start things, line and board. Got it. And they go, well, we were in line and we were bored. So one of them is like, and he just spits, as one does. And he goes, wow, that went really far. So the friend next to him is like, watch, I can do it farther. So then he spits. So then this catches the attention of the other 15-year-old boys waiting in line with them. And so they start cheering and judging and turning this into a full-blown spitting competition. And they had a great time standing at the top of the ladder right before the, the slide that they were about to go down. They even said to me, they're like, Stace, we didn't think it was wrong. There was nobody around, Stacy. I didn't think it was gonna be wrong. They're like, it's not illegal. There was no sign, to their credit, no sign at the water park that said, do not stand in line and have a spinning competition with your friends. There was no sign for that. So they're like, it's not illegal, Stacey. They're like, it cannot be a moral issue. Nobody, was, nobody got hurt, Stace. That can't be what this is. And Stacy, we're not mean. We're not malicious, we're not trying to hurt someone. How could we possibly have been crossing the line in this moment? So we just thought, this is fine. They had a thought process. They used all the filters we talked about, but us in here, not standing at the top of the slide, being bored in line with our friends, what if we said, okay, but was it the wisest thing to do? Is it the wisest thing in the middle of a very busy amusement park to start spitting when you cannot see where that spit is landing? Because what you might not know is while you don't see anyone, two lifeguards might have moved into your splash zone, and so they are getting spit on repeatedly while they hear you and your friends cheering. Like that's the experience these two employees had. And that's why security is gonna go find Stacy, And that's why I'm gonna have two boys standing in front of me, sheepish and embarrassed and profoundly apologetic. Because the wise thing to do is not the question that they asked. See, there is a difference in asking, is it right, is it wrong, is it ethical? Well, then I bet I can cross it. Because when we utilize those as filters, what we're really saying is how low can I go before I actually do something bad? How close to a bad idea can I get without actually doing the bad idea? How close to the line without crossing it? We might even really be asking, how far can I go before I I cross the line and I now have to face a consequence and deal with this? Think about some of the decisions that you make. You might say, it is not wrong for me to purchase this thing? It's not wrong for me. But what if you ask, is it wise for me to continue to ignore my finances until they become a problem and a stress for me in my life? For some of us, it is not immoral for us to ask one of our coworkers to lunch, for us to start texting that person that we once know. But is it wise for us in our current relationships, in our current state of life, to be engaging with that person the way that we are. It isn't technically over any kind of line if we're tired when we come home from work or from school, and so we go into the room and we shut the door and we isolate ourselves from our family, and we just tune it out and we don't want to engage. But what if we're asking, is it wise for me to neglect my family or to isolate myself or to shut down those relationships. There is nothing necessarily ethical if you want to date somebody who's got a ton of red flags. There is nothing ethical about that. But what if somebody asked you, is it wise to keep repeating your dating history that has led you to a place you don't love? When we ask questions, is it wrong? Is it ethical? What we're asking is it's going to bring us right up against that line. It's going to take away any margin and any buffer. And what we're going to find ourselves, and some of us have already figured this out, it takes one oops, and suddenly we're over that line. It takes one mistake. It takes one error in judgment. It takes one moment that we were too tired to fight whatever that temptation is. We were too tired to not say the thing we didn't want to say, and now we can't take it back. And now we find ourselves surrounded even by broken promises, maybe going, how did I get here? This was not where I wanted this situation or this relationship to be. But it was decision after decision that ran us right up against that bad idea. And all it took was one little step to push us over. And we don't want to live like that. We don't want to live on this line waiting for one error. And so, like Paul said, we need to change what our filter is. Technically, we can look at a situation and go, I have the right to do anything. That doesn't mean every decision in front of us is gonna be beneficial, it's gonna do good things to our lives. You have the right to choose any filter you want when you go to make your decision. It doesn't mean that every filter you use is gonna lead you to a decision that builds up your life in a way that you're like, this is what I was planning for and what I wanted. You have the right to choose anything in the decision standing in front of you, but it doesn't mean that, however you make that choice, it is going to set you up to better love the people around you that you most want to show love and care to. So let's offer ourselves a different uh, filter. Let's offer ourselves: what if instead of asking those questions when we stood in front of a decision, we said, "What is the wise thing for me to do?" But much like Paul when he's writing to the Corinthians. I don't have an ability to sit up here and think about each and every decision that you have in your life or that you're going to face even in the next week and say, this is exactly what the wise thing is. So what we have to do is we have to explore and study and engage in wisdom. So that the next time we face a decision and we ask ourselves, what would be the wise thing for me to step out and do? We might have an idea of that. And so luckily... There's a book of the Bible that's actually a collection of wise sayings, and it is called Proverbs. It's a collection of wise sayings. Now, it doesn't mean that these wise sayings are also promises. That if you do all the right wise things, you are promised exactly how it's going to turn out. We can't do that because we live in a human world. But what it is saying is here are some wise ways to deal with those daily decisions. When you ask, what's the wise step for me to do? They can give you some wisdom that maybe farther down the road. You'd look back and say, I have less regret because I started asking questions a different way. So today... We're going to look and explore three of those Proverbs that tackle some of our daily decisions that we get to face. And we're going to talk about what is some of the wisdom when we face those decisions that we can get from Proverbs. So those three Proverbs are going to help us talk about what is a wise way to handle when we deal with difficult people or difficult situations. What is a wise way to think about our friends and the people that we get advice from And what is a wise way to deal with our finances or a wise way when we find our emotions helping to make all of our decisions without any logic behind that? So those are the three things. The first thing that I want to have an opportunity to talk about is how do we wisely choose to deal with difficult people in a difficult situation? So to do that, it comes from Proverbs 19, verse 11. We are told, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So this week I was thinking about a situation I faced. I got married about eight some years ago and my husband had already been stationed over in Germany. He was with the army and so he'd already been stationed over there. And so myself and my friends and my family planned our entire wedding. And so we had booked a venue, and I was really excited about it. It was at a museum, and we were going to married out in the courtyard. And my family and my friends had been doing a lot to help me prep for it. And so about a week before my wedding, almost exactly seven days, we go down to the venue to double check any last minute details. We were going to like set out the centerpiece thing and make sure we liked it, whatever, right? So we show up, and we meet with the coordinator. And we're walking around, and she starts talking to us about some of the details of utilizing the venue. And it's been a few months since we had booked it, but almost all of the details had suddenly changed. The way this coordinator was working with me was almost completely different on what we had agreed to. She was to the point that we weren't going to have access to electricity. I was like, okay, don't know what to do with that. We, She was no longer going to be able to provide tables and chairs, which are things you need at a reception. She was telling me about licenses that we now needed to purchase, which was going to be an additional cost and may or may not happen in the next seven days. She was telling me we could no longer get in at a certain time to set everything up. She was telling me we could only get in much, much later to be able to set up for this reception happening again in seven days. And I can feel myself and my mom and my sister. And we start saying things like, um, so this is going to be unacceptable. So we're gonna need you to change this. And we are getting angrier and angrier. And what we start realizing is we're dealing with a difficult person in a difficult situation because I'm watching my coordinator. She is shutting down. She is getting more stubborn. She's getting more firm about how things are going to go. And I can feel both anger and panic starting to bubble up in that moment because it is hard to decide how to wisely deal with difficult people in difficult situations. In fact, when I asked my friend group, what are some things in your daily decisions you'd like wisdom about? Across the board, they said difficult people, regardless of their age or their stage of life, because the truth is we deal with them all the time. When you go to work, you deal with difficult people. They could be your coworkers. They could be your boss. They could be your clients and your customers. Some of you have been on dates with difficult people. Some of you then married difficult people. Some of you got in-laws who are difficult people. And then many of you made difficult people and you call them your children. (laughs) Like they are everywhere. We have opportunities out of those 35,000 decisions we make a day. So many of them, we are deciding how I'm going to deal with this difficult person in front of us. This difficult person I'm in a relationship with or I'm in this difficult situation with. So the writer of Proverbs says, here is some wisdom. When you're asking, what's the wise thing for me to do? And the first thing the writer of Proverbs says is he says, it, wisdom yields patience. Don't roll your eyes, but really think about that for a minute. He says, you are looking at a difficult person, a difficult situation, and you're saying, what is the wise thing for me to do? The wise thing for you to do is Pause. How often, when we face difficult, do we want to become difficult ourselves? When someone starts getting stubborn, we want to also become that immovable force of stubborn and see what happens. When we start dealing with difficult, we we want to become as difficult as they are. Flex, get a little louder so they really understand why we're right. It's what we want to do. And what do you get? Do you get a lot of cooperation and understanding? You end up with a lot of anger. A lot of resentment, a lot more stubbornness and digging your heels in and withholding, it only increases difficulty. So Proverbs says, the wise thing to do when dealing with difficult people is to pause and to take a breath, maybe even take a step back, rather than react in the moment, pause. And I think there's wisdom when you pause of saying, what do I want out of this situation? This difficult person I'm looking at, what do I want out of this relationship? Parents, you laughed. Some of your kids are difficult and you know that. And the truth of it is, we never outgrow it. We are difficult as toddlers, as teenagers, sometimes as adult children. And so when we step into a moment as parents needing to decide, how am I going to respond to my kid? What am I going to say to them? How am I going to step into this situation rather than just react? What if we pause and we took a step back, took a breath and said, I love this human more than all the other humans this is my kid. I want to have a relationship with my kid when they become an adult, that we are still close and we still like each other. That is very diffi- different than reacting to difficult with difficult. That is wisdom saying the wise thing for me to do is pause and remember what I want out of this. So when I make a decision of how to respond, I get to keep that in mind instead. For those of us, sometimes the parent is the one that's difficult, aren't they? Yes. And so for some of us, we look at our parents and say, I love them, and I want to have a relationship with them. So as the kid, when we go to respond to our difficult parent, we also have the opportunity to say, the wise thing for me to do is pause and take a breath, not just react with difficulty. You know, in that situation with the wedding venue, I can feel myself, I can feel my sister and my mom, and we are getting up there, and I had to take a breath. When I took that breath and I thought about my situation, the truth of it was... I'm getting married in seven days. I have a fiance flying in from overseas for a 72 hour window to get married. I have a reception of 200 some people that I need to figure out. That's the reality of this. And this coordinator holds my reception in her hands like a little bird. And so I needed to say to my parents, I need to say to my sister and my mom, take a walk for a second, look at this other thing. And I get to sit down with this coordinator and what I decided in my, when I took a breath, I said, I need to ask more questions here. And when I ask questions, you guys, I realized she told me she was brand new. We were the first tour she'd ever given, the first event she was coordinating without shadowing somebody else. She didn't even know where all the paperwork was to learn how past events had been happening. She is terrified of telling us the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, and losing her brand new job. So of course she's going to start shutting down to us because she doesn't know what to do. And so I got to ask more questions. We got to partner a little bit. And I got to figure out a way to have our wedding, our reception happen there in a way that was acceptable and fun. But you know what the truth is? There were a few things that were not exactly how we had agreed to them before. There were a few irritations I had that I looked at and go, I wish that could have landed a little differently. But... I didn't want to be sitting in my reception so focused on those things that I now couldn't change that I didn't get to enjoy my day and my family and my friends and my fiance being in for a little while. So sometimes the second thing that Proverbs suggests when dealing with a difficult person is it says, let small offenses go. Sometimes you want to make the wise choice. You step back, you pause. Sometimes the wise thing to do when dealing with a difficult person is to say, I'm going to let this go moment go, this irritation, this insult, this this small moment, I'm gonna let it stay a small moment. It doesn't mean that wisdom tells you to be a doormat, but it does mean sometimes let that small moment stay a small moment so that you can experience better things in that relationship or out of that difficult time. So let me ask you, the next time some of you guys have moments coming up in your week, you're going to have to deal with difficult people. You know it. You probably even already know who they are. So ask yourself, when I'm faced with the decision of how to respond to them, what is the wise thing for me to do? What if the wise thing for you to do is to pause? Not just hear the word patience, but actually put it into action and take a breath. Think about where you really want that situation to go. What if in dealing with a difficult moment, you, the wise thing for me to do right now is not to make this irritation a big deal right now. Right now it is to let this moment go. Because the truth of it is, We don't always like to admit it, but sometimes we are the difficult people. Sometimes in that relationship, we're the difficult one. We're the difficult customer, or client, or coworker, or spouse, or friend. Sometimes it happens. And when we're being difficult, what we're going to want is we're gonna want that other person to utilize this wisdom. We're gonna want them to pause before they respond to us. We're going to want them to let a few of our small moments stay small moments rather than overthink and sit in hypersensitivity. So when we sit in front of a difficult moment and we say, what is the wise thing for me to do? Proverbs says, pause. And Proverbs says, sometimes let a small thing go. Now, the next proverb I want to look at has more to do with our friendships and it has more to do with where we seek counsel. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, Walk with the wise and you will become wise. For a companion of fools will suffer harm. If I'm honest, there's a part of this proverb that makes me feel a little old. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up with parents who were always telling me, be careful who your friends are. They will influence you. And as a kid, I was always like, okay, mom, I'm gonna make my decisions. Don't worry about that. But now that I'm older, if I'm really honest, I think this writer of Proverbs and my parents may have been right because if I'm honest, my friend group has an incredible amount of access to my life. My friend group is often where I go for advice, for encouragement. They have a big say in my life and maybe not just my, my friend group, but sometimes the people that we work with have a huge say in how we conduct ourselves in different decisions that we're going to make. And the writer of Proverbs says, you want to know what the wise thing to do when you face a decision, make sure you have wise people around you. That might mean be wise about the people who have access to your life, and it might mean be wise about who you turn to for advice. So for some of us, think about who your friend group is. Think about who some of your coworkers that you spend a lot of time with are. Do you find them? to be wise people who make wise decisions with their lives because friends can influence us. Friends could end up getting you into a spitting competition at an amusement park. They just can, even as adults, you never know. Do your friends show wisdom in their decisions? Do your friends, are they for you? Do they want to see good things happen in your life? Do they, do they want to encourage you in showing kindness and care and love better and better to the people that are around you? Then keep those friends close. Keep close to those wise people. And when you think about seeking advice and thinking, seeking counsel, are you going to people who are wise? Sometimes that means, are you going to people who ask you tough questions? Are you going to people who sometimes give you advice that you don't want to hear? Or have you surrounded yourself with yes-men? Have you surrounded yourself with people who are always gonna parrot back what it is that you wanna hear and are not actually gonna challenge you or, or speak any type of truth into this moment you're seeking advice from? For instance, Andy and I, we, I've shared this in here a couple times, we started doing um, foster care about two years ago. And I love moments of it, but there are moments that are really difficult. And one of those really difficult things is that when we get kids oftentimes they have suffered either a lot of trauma, a lot of difficulty, and so they end up being a little behind where they're supposed to be at their age range, sometimes a lot behind where they're supposed to be at their age range. And each of our kids has their own team of people who are constantly assessing them and constantly telling me whether or not they're reaching their milestones, constantly telling me, you need to be more. do more, you need to reach out to these people, your kid should be doing this. This kid was walking or crawling by this point, and your kid's nowhere close, and they're constantly Constantly assessing how far behind my kids are, and I'm telling you, it's so tough to hear. It is so tough for me to not want to focus on all the ways that my kids, who show up at my door, are behind. They're not where they're supposed to be, and I want to focus on that. And it is my friend group, is my friend group, and it is my family who step in and say, "Hold on." In wisdom, the wise thing to do with this kid in front of you, the wise thing, my friends, show me and tell me, is love that kid that kid does not need my achievement issues mirrored onto them. That kid just needs to be snuggled. That kid may have not been snuggled in a really long time. And my friends, because I'm surrounded by wise people or because they give me wise advice, they remind me all the time. It's not about milestones. It is about loving that kid where they are. Reminding that kid they are loved and they are enough exactly as they are. So when I'm faced with a moment with a kid, and I'm like, I don't know the wise thing to do. I have wise friends I can go to who point me into wise directions that I can choose whether or not that's how I'm going to live things out. So I ask you, think about your friends. Think about the people that you seek advice from. Do you have wise people around you who better help you love others well also? The third thing that I want to talk about this morning is it has to do with our finances. And it has to do with sometimes when we make financial decisions, we don't always make those from a place of wisdom. Sometimes we find ourselves tempted or struggling not to make our financial decisions from a place purely based on emotion. This is how Proverbs put it. Proverbs says in chapter 14, the wisdom of the prudent, that means the wisdom of a sensible person, is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is deception." So recently, Andy and I were looking at cars, a new car for him for a lot of different reasons, and so we did a ton of research. We established exactly where our budget was gonna be, and we talked about it a lot. We established the things that we needed in a car that we couldn't compromise on, that we were really excited about, right? Andy put in a ton of research, found some cars at a dealership that we wanted to go look at. So we went to go look, and for us, it's our first time ever walking to a dealer and actually checking out cars. We are very excited. And this car's for Andy, and so he's looking through them, and then the dealer goes, you know what i've got one more car you didn't see that actually fits what you're looking for and drives it around and i watched andy's face just light up like it's a problem right he lit up and he goes there it is it checked off all of his boxes and more and then he got in it and he drove it around like if you've ever gone to a dealer and driven the car that is a tough moment he came back to the lot all smiling because why emotionally, that needed to be his car. He was emotionally invested in this financial decision. I knew because we went inside, sat down, and the dealer, who was sweet and helpful and awesome, the dealer went to go deal with whatever the final price was going to be, and Andy immediately starts going, You know Stace. I know what we agreed on our budget, but like we could handle a little bit more because we knew this car was beyond the budget we'd agreed on, but already he is trying to find different logic and different facts to change the thing he knows to be true. Have you ever done that when shopping? When spending money, when you're like, no. The one guy who hasn't. Every once in a while our emotions can change, they help us change and deceive ourselves about some of the facts that are going on in this purchase. For me, I could spend all my money on shoes. I can be a little bit of a sneakerhead. Oh, and I can convince myself scrolling on my phone, I need those just the same way I needed that new pair last week. Sometimes our emotions can step in and help twist some facts to deceive us when we go to make purchases. It was happening for Andy. And then the dealer sat down, and the dealer gave him the actual final price on that car. And you watched all of that emotional joy just crash, because it was like a snap in the face. His prudent self woke up, and he goes, oh, that is astronomically beyond what we had agreed on very firmly, and we had to leave the dealer without that car. And I know it wasn't the decision he wanted to make, But when he sat down with that number and forced to ask, what would be the wise thing for me to do right now, his emotions said, buy that car. But when he said the wise thing for me to do with my money because of what I want my money to do or to say or how responsible I want to be said, I'm going to have to leave here without that. Because sometimes our finances and shopping and purchasing things, they can be a bit of a comfort, can't they? Sometimes buying stuff can be a little comfortable. Sometimes there's an emotional quality to it because we are comparing ourselves to some of the people around us. And what this proverb says is, when you are facing a financial decision, let yourself pause and say, what would be the sensible thing to do? Think through these ways that my emotions don't necessarily drive me to make a financial decision that I then have to live with the next day. That I then have to be paying off five years from now and wishing I had made a different, sensible decision back then. He said, the Proverbs writer says, pause and what what is the wise thing to do? The wise thing is think through your actions. And if we're honest, there are other things in our lives that sometimes our emotions drive us to make decisions about. Sometimes our emotions drive us when we are eating and we're talking about what foods we will or will not eat. Sometimes it is our emotions, it is our insecurity that says, this is the attention that I need from this person. This is why I'm going to talk to them and I'm going to engage in this moment the way I am. Sometimes it is our emotions that cause us to want to isolate and numb and stay behind our devices and not engage with the people that are around us. And so when we're faced with this moment and we have a decision to make, what if the wise thing is pay attention to why do I want to eat that thing or not eat that thing? Why do I want to talk to that person? Why do I want to isolate and numb out after my day or from these specific friends? Why do I want to do this thing? Because the wise thing is to think through the decisions you're about to make. You know, there's so many more proverbs because we face... 35,000 decisions a day. And there's so many Proverbs in there that can give us wisdom as we step out and we make those choices and we start to ask instead the filter of what would be the wise thing for me to do. So I wanna encourage you, go read some of those Proverbs, go check them out, especially the next time you're asking what would be the wise thing for me? Because one of the Proverbs tell us, Proverbs 19 says, the one who gets wisdom loves life. And isn't that what we want more of? We want to love our lives. I want you to love your life. And wisdom lets us do that. So whatever decision you're facing right now, think about it. it. could be with finances. It could be with family. It could be with your marriage. It could be with your job and a promotion. It could be how to parent. So many different things. Ask yourself, where do I want to be five years from now on that? Do I want to be financially free, maybe even able to give to people who need it? Do you want to be in a marriage where you actually like each other and are for each other and you have these shared memories together? Do you want to have friends where you feel known, even at your lowest, weakest moment, you still feel like they are for you? Do you want to be a parent who one day has a close, friendly relationship with your grown adult kid? Where do you want to be on your decision? Where do you want to be in five years? Because wisdom says if we ask what is the wise thing for me to do, five years from now we'll be able hopefully to have made some decisions that we experience fewer regrets. And we might actually love the life that we have. And as always, we don't do any of this on our own in isolation and just power through. Remember, whenever you're faced with a decision, especially asking what's the wise thing to do, pause and pray. Pray. There is no rule that you cannot ask God, what is the wise thing for me to do here? God, help me. I know that you love me. I know that I am forgiven and I am restored. God, help me to make a wise decision right now. Help me to act out with discretion in this moment. Help me to make decisions that I have fewer regrets. And if you are in here and you're saying, I would love for somebody to pray with me or for me, I want you to remember, we always have a prayer place right back there. And after every Sunday, there are people over there who want to pray for you and want to pray with you. And also if you're in here, and this is one of your first times to cast us, there's going to be myself and a few other leaders right over here after service who just want to say hi and just meet you. But I appreciate you guys being here. If you would please stand so that we can pray for today. God, thank you so much for your perfect love for us. God, thank you so much for the people that you have put in our lives and in our stories. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be brave and to be courageous and to make wiser decisions, God, that you would help us to step into opportunities and show others the same love that you are consistently showing us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, happy Sunday, you guys.